This is CliffCentral.com. Show with Byron Karpinski. I'm Hugh Bladen, and it's on CliveCentral.com. Um, it's Cliff Central, Blades, and it's Ben Karpinski. Why didn't you tell me? Ben Karpinski on CliveCentral.com. So hot and hot. So hot Welcome to it, the bounce show with me, Ben Karpinski, and the intro song today is Nelly Hot and Here. Now you may be wondering why I'm playing this song, and it's because the last time Australia had the Bledisloe Cup, Nelly, with a plaster on his face, was the hit song in the world. 2002, hey, talk about absolute dominance, these all blacks are just something else. Prior to that, the quick little fact... Uh, the Aussies were actually the dominant force in the Bledisloe Cup from 1998 until 2002. But it's never going to happen here. And what can stop these All Blacks? I think that's a show all in itself. And maybe I need to actually get a guest from Australia, a guest from well, anywhere but New Zealand, because there's no point talking to them, because they'll just remind us how amazing the All Blacks are. So that took place over the weekend. There was a great weekend of rugby. There was a great weekend of crickets. There's every format of cricket going on right now. Every team is playing right now. So that is why I am bringing in my friend David Oram. Now, David's a very interesting man of cricket. I appeared on his podcast um, a few months ago prior to the T20 World Cup, I think it was. So David is an expert on all things West Indian crickets. I think he's an English guy based in Pakistan. Who? Uh, it's a long story. We'll get into him. He's going to intro himself at length here. But yeah, a really cool guy and uh, very much like me. He just loves talking about cricket because he's just got so much interest in the game, which I do. Um, I went to Centurion over the weekend to go watch that test match. Uh, I went yesterday and wow, was it boring. So, so boring. But um, I'll leave the cricket for a bit. We've got so much to talk about as far as all the headlines, all the things to catch up from the weekend, and we shall do so after this. Because it was a big hit, huh? just like the Aussies were once a big rugby team. So, right, let's get into the headlines for the week. Uh, eight days now until the Paralympics starts. Now, I know many people basically say that, well, the Olympics is done. After that, it's no real big deal. But the Paralympics is actually quite an incredible event, mostly because, just like the Olympics, we'll never ever see any of these events on a day-to-day basis, right? Another thing about the Paralympics is that there's various disciplines to the various events. So you'll find you get codes and you'll get different sort of segments. Um, just like the whole thing about being differently abled, it really is thrown across the board there. So just think of the Olympics, but then almost like ties by five as far as number of events are going. More events in this Paralympics than any other Paralympics in the history of the event. So lots to look out for there. Eight days until it gets going there. It'll be obviously in Rio. So the t- same times that we had for the Rio Olympics and Summer Games will apply for this one. Let's get into the Rugby Championship. New Zealand 29, Australia 9, and to think they were never really troubled. The Aussies had this new strategy this week. It was to get in the face of the All Blacks, like literally get in their face. They were trying to ruffle them up. It's a tactic the box used to use a bit here and there. Only difference is that if you try to ruffle the All Blacks up, they'll beat you on the scoreboard and probably beat you um, in a rumble as well. Yeah, it's a sad truth. Unfortunately, these guys just can't be beaten on pretty much anything. So 29-9, the All Blacks have now won 2 out of 2. And, um, yeah, well, we all knew they're going to win the rugby championship. If I had a house to bet it on, uh, bet, bet on them doing so, I would have done so by now. 
It's one of those sure things in sport. And there's a reason for it, really. We can all sit here and go, oh, yeah, but you know, someone will beat them or one day they won't be the top. But there is no indication of this ever happening. All the other teams in the world of rugby right now, let's just say maybe not England. England are getting their shit together. They've got a good coach. They're using money wisely. They've got depth. They're doing things in a very good system. Everyone else, oh, it's just hit and hope. Huh? I mean, look, no respect. They're just disrespect to the allergies, but that game on Saturday is their pinnacle. They'll try to wrestle you. They'll try to outfight you. They'll try to outscrap you. But that's, you're never going to be the world's best in that. The Aussies, well, they simply haven't got the players. Um, rugby union is like right down there with watching neighbors, reruns of neighbors as far as the national activity goes. And, uh, as for Ireland, Wales, Scotland, France, well, they all have their moments, but they're never going to be sustainable world, world forces. New Zealand has everything going for them and they've got depth in positions. Uh, look at those fly halves they have. Look at the loose forwards they have. The fact that the crowd will just plead with the the coach to bring Audi Savion for ten minutes. I mean, there's there is countries out there that pay millions just to have this guy playing for their team, being in their their startup. So twenty nine nine, and uh, that's well, their games against Australia done. So now New Zealand will now beat Argentina and South Africa in their respective countries. But the other match that obviously the South Africans are still very bitter about is uh, well twenty six twenty four Argentina beating SA there. I'll get into it in a bit. That's the feature I'm going to have before I chat with David at half past the hour. Uh, I just going to go through the team. Because you know, people are always saying like, oh, this is cuck, that's cuck. We need to actually assess this team. And if there's anything that Asgard's here can do right now, or we're just going to sit out and wait any sort of turnarounds. Now, if you missed it on the Gareth Cliff show on Friday, Friday morning we interviewed Gavin Rich. Now, Gavin is obviously a very well-known rugby writer here in South Africa. He's written many books. His latest book, The Springbok Coaches, is something that I'm finding so fascinating right now. And I don't often promote books because, well, a lot of them are quite drab and you find things out. Well, you don't, actually, because everything that's been written throughout their careers just gets regurgitated. But Gavin has created a book. Well, it's actually it's a re-release of a book called The Poison Chalice. It didn't sell as well. So now he's dire- directly named it The uh, Springbok Coaches. So if you want any understanding or insight as to where we are right now in rugby, you've got to look at the past. And uh, a lot of people were saying over the internet on the weekend that political pressure and political interference is messing up this current Springbok team. Well, the simple response to that is bullshit. There hasn't been a single Springbok team that hasn't had internal politics and interference from people who don't have the best interests in mind, but more agendas in mind. So it's nothing new. It's just being repackaged as something else. I will say you have to go buy this book. And if you go into the bounce of CO.za right now, you'll find the interview with Gavin. It's essential listening. It's not just for sight hits, I promise. It's such a good interview with such an insightful and, uh, well, outspoken man. That's one thing I will say about Gavin. He's not scared about anything. Curry Cup news from the weekend. The Lions beat Borland 60 points to 12. They lost to Griquas in the previous round, so good bounce back there from the Lions. The Pumas at home, they lost to Griquas 41 to 35. And then Saturday, EP Kings, they went down to Western Province, 6.36. And the big game from the weekend was the Sharks. They beat Bulls, 26.19. Now, there's a young guy called Bosch, who we all know from the age group levels. He was very good. Eastern Province Curry Cup, sorry, Craven Week player. He then went on to represent SA in the under-19s. Now, you've got to ask the question. In the past, people like Henry Pollard have been fast-tracked to the team. People like Johan Kursner have been fast-tracked to the team. Is, um, I think his name is Gershwin Bosch. Is he going to be in the same thing? There's openings. Let's be honest. This team is not exactly set in stone. So maybe this is a guy at the fullback there. I mean, he can kick, he can run, he can do everything. He's quite slight, of course, but it's not all about size. Just look at uh, Derry McKenzie from the All Blacks there. So look out for players like that. And that is why we must be watching this this Curry Cup. 
the future is there, guys. The future is there, and we must invest in it. We can't just all sit back and bitch about the Springboks. We just kind of know where it's all coming from, you know? We just kind of know what the next step is. In football, another great start for Cape Town City. Now, they're the newcomers to the PSL League, right? They, It's a shady deal. I don't know what really happened, but basically in SS football, I don't know if this happens around the world, but I think they bought a team which then gave them a chance to be in the PSL. I think they went from Nelspreet down to Cape Town. It's a murky business for me, but they beat um, uh, Polikwani City in the first round of the PSL, so they got the first win, but now they're in the NTA Net Cup. They beat Pirates. Sorry, not Pirates. They beat Kaiser Chiefs 1-0. So they go through the semifinals. They'll be joined by Chip United, who beat Platinum Stars. And then Vitz beat Orlando Pirates 2-1. Sundowns way too strong for fellow Schwane club, Supersport United. They win that one 3-1. So Sundowns, I reckon, you know, same again. They'll be the SA team to chase and to follow throughout the season. Into EPL. Now, there's the English Premier League. Uh, some people call it the Premiership up there. So, what happened there? Well, the top three teams, really, they are starting to define themselves. It's uh, Chelsea, Man City, Man United. They had big wins for big wins for Chelsea, 3-0 over Burnley. Big win for Man City, 3-1 over West Ham. And then Man United, they just keep winning. So, that is three out of three for all three teams. Man United beating Hull City there away, 1-0. So these are three teams, a lot of excitement around them at the moment. Um, maybe less, less degree Chelsea, but definitely the Manchester clubs right now. And the great thing is when this league resumes in a couple of weeks' time, they've taken a bit of a break. Uh, Man City versus Man United. How exciting is that going to be? You know, the results worth looking at. Leicester, they won 2-1 over Swansea. That's good for them. They drew with Arsenal last week. So, look, we all know Leicester's not going to win this league. It's not going to happen twice. Uh, they already lost Kante. They might lose Mires at some stage. Vardy's long-term. Uh, but yeah, they'll be mid-table at best, I think. If they can stay and somehow do something in Europe, well, what a bonus. Watford, they got hammered by Arsenal, 3-1 at home. And then Spurs, Liverpool, 1-1. Southampton, 1-1 with Sunderland as well. And Everton beats Stoke. Crystal Palace, 1-1 with Bournemouth. West Ham, blah, 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 other teams. In cricket, now... We're going to get into this whole debacle that happened yesterday between West Indies and India. We chat to David in a few minutes. So essentially, they're looking to broaden the game by playing in different areas, which you've got to hand it to the BCCI or, or whoever they are who's doing all this. But there was technical delays, um, things with TV obstructions. Oh, it sounds like an absolute mess. David's going to talk more about it. I will tell you, though, about the test match happening right now at Centurion. So, look, it's it's not great when you go to a game. Or, uh, I, I took my mother to the test match yesterday. Okay, so she's up here for the weekend visiting me. Never been to Centurion. Centurion's a lovely place. We went there, and it was quite a boring day. And I'll get into this as well with David. But, like, here's a team that just doesn't have any test match form. You know, this team that they're playing with, the Proteas. All these batsmen are looking to scratch around and try to cement their places. So it's never going to make for a great game. It's not really their fault, essentially. But still, they did actually stick it out, and good on them for doing so. So they showed a quality amongst all this hardship. 40, sorry, 4-8-1 for 9 they finished on. Fafti Pussy was scratching around, much like he was in the first test. There's a man clearly out of form, but still, the application shown is admirable. 112 not out he eventually finished on. And, you know, actually, who cares about how many balls it took? This is a guy who's just fighting so hard to be in this team and as a standing skipper with AB being injured. So good on you, Faf. It's staying power that we need in this team. And 4-8-1 for 9. What made that total a whole lot better is that New Zealand finished the day at 38 for 3. So Kane Williamson's still there. And uh, if you are watch, if you are listening live, that match will, I think, start in about 15 minutes here in South Africa. So nicely poised test match there. 
runs on the board for SA, all to do for New Zealand with uh, three days remaining. Big weekend for F1. So um, I'm sure you know the rules of all this F1 a lot better than I do, but uh, Lewis Hamilton was given a huge sort of penalty because he changed some power units in his engine, okay? So now you can't tamper with these things. Well, you can. It's just that you will incur the wrath of um, certain sanctions. So he then had to start at the back of the grid because he changed his engine, right? So this was obviously going to be a huge handicap for Lewis, who was 19 points clear starting the race. But there were so many crashes. There was such upheaval all over that track. And I did say last week this was going to be an exciting race. Uh, eventually, with safety cars and virtual safety cars and all that kind of stuff, Lewis made his way through the field and a very credible third place, considering the fact that he was betting in that new power plant engine. So um, Rosberg did win it. So he does narrow the lead down to nine points in the championship. So expect Lewis Hamilton to win the next one. Um, again, it's kind of like betting on the All Blacks. It will happen. So Hamilton will win the next match. Sorry, the next race. And that will obviously propel him further ahead to a championship, which he's ultimately going to win in Abu Dhabi. Let's be honest. Golf is a really great weekend of golf. On the US PGA Tour, it is the FedEx um, playoffs. So the top 125 golfers. They all go into the final four events. So you've got the Barclays, which was last weekend. You've got the Deutsche Championship, which is this weekend. And then you've got the BMW Championship. And then it's the Tour Championship. Those are your four big events. And it gets whittled down from there. So on the top 100 now, go to the Deutsche Bank. And then it goes 75. And then we're down to top 50, I think it is. So it was a really, really exciting event. Played at the very difficult Beth Page Black Golf Course. A golf course that has its own sign. Now, if you watch it for any time of the weekend, every hour, commentators will remind you that. It's, they have a sign saying, this isn't for the fair golfer. This is a very difficult golf course. And uh, Ricky Fowler had the measure of it throughout the tournament, really. But a tricky back nine on Sunday, and unfortunately, Fowler then fell away. He had to win, or at least finish sort of top four, I think it was, to guarantee a spot in the Ryder Cup. But he essentially just absolutely bottled it in the back nine, which is a worrying thing because he said he started the year with a great win in the WW Championships, did Fowler. But from then, you know, he tanked it at Phoenix where he had a two-shot lead with two shot, two holes to go. And from there, he hasn't really shown the substance for Davis Love to say, you know what, I really want him in the Ryder Cup team. He had a horrible showing at the Olympics. Um, he hasn't really done much. He missed the cut of the Players' Championship where he's defending champion. He hasn't done much in the majors where he was so solid previously. So Fowler really had to get it done yesterday. Didn't get it done. I wouldn't be surprised if he's not one of the, the outside picks now because top eight people all guaranteed spots and now it's down to davis love the third along with co-captain or sorry vice captain tiger woods to make the picks so fowler not playing well he's a big draw card internationally but just hasn't done enough this year speaking of people who are doing enough well thomas peters this guy this belgian guy he has been absolutely amazing this this year on the european tour three wins okay he's got three european tour titles now now he's not one of the guaranteed uh, starters you got to think this guy has to be one of the captain's picks he's just on form right now where Darren Clark will choose him or go with someone who's more tried and tested, difficult to say. Uh, I would go with Peters. I really would. This guy's a real talent, and uh, you got to take form into this. And we saw in the last Ryder Cup with Billy Horschel winning the FedEx Cup, he wasn't there. You know, They needed something like that in America, and uh, it didn't happen. So that is the golf. Uh, we've done the motorsport, done the cricket, done the football. That's the wrap-up of the weekend. There was other swimming, Chad Leclerc and... Um, Cameron van der Berg are doing pretty well, but they're not exactly racing against the guys who pipped them at the post at the Olympics. So, yeah, good for them. It's a FINA World Cup of some sort, but you can't keep up with all that. Let's get into some rugby, shall we? What another disappointing upfork for the Springboks. 
What a scrum from Argentina. It should be enough, could be enough. It is enough. Argentina have beaten South Africa in Salta. And that's what it means to the coaching staff. Daniel Ricardo has got the victory. He could almost have got last week, but this week he has got it right. Well, perhaps the gruff voice of Robbie Kempson is the appropriate person to sort of uh, confirm what we all saw on Saturday. It was a rough performance from the Springboks again. Lacking continuity. looked like it was lacking leadership. The box are just running all around. No one really knows what's going on there. The, the game plan, well, what game plan? You know, there's the whole thing about the fact that they're trying to play a Springbok game plan that Alice Garcia wants to implement, but then when shit hits the fan, which it does, and they're more like the lines towards the end as they try to make the ball do the work, it just all sounds, it's, it's just nothing settled for me. And the fact that the Argentinians can look at that and go, right, these guys haven't got a strong game plan, so let's just bring them down to our level. And we'll beat them with experience. It's no disrespect to Argentina. They're, also, they're a scrappy team. I mean, it, it'll take an idiot to kind of disagree with that. They just thrive on the fact that they can dominate you physically and they will have breakaway tries. But what really pissed me off that whole match is that whenever the box were composed, they just used the ball, they kept possession, they went forward. And scoring opportunities, especially in that second half, they opened up. Simple as that. They could just keep the ball in hand. They were always crossing the game line. You know, watching Damien de Allende being pushed up and then spilling the ball while charging towards the line by someone who was about a foot shorter than him. It's just these little basic things. The white line fever throughout the team. It's frustrating. It is so frustrating. As Alex Garcia will say, points were left on the field. <sighs> so many points left on the field. So rather than just crapping on about the obvious, which I'm sure you don't need right now, I was thinking we should just go through this team. Okay, we're going to chat to David about cricket in about, in about 10 minutes. So the, the tone of the, the show will go up. But let's just call things what they are right now with this Bok team. We've got guys who are just all over the place, really. There's no real cohesion. And I, I personally will put it down to the fact that we've all doubted Adrian Strauss as the leader of this team. And again, it just seems like he goes missing in these big situations. I know everyone's got a style of captaincy. And some say, well, well you know, he's more of the diplomatic, soft-spoken kind of guy, leads by example, doesn't say a whole bunch. But it, I don't know. Does this team look like they need a captain like that? It looks like he's herding cats, and I don't think that's a really good thing for someone who's going to be quiet and composed to kind of get the message across to these guys. There's no urgency. Some players like the Beast, uh, Francois Lowe, you know, they're off their best. Uh, it's just general complacency, which is just going nowhere. And to think that this is Argentina, right? They're technically always the fourth best team in this tournament. We were lucky to beat them here in SA. We just lost to them overseas. Ugh, those Aussies don't look great, but I can't see us beating them. And of course, what's going to be the deficit against uh, New Zealand? What is going to be the hammering that we're going to take to those guys? That is if they even try to play their full team. I mean, who knows? They might rest a few players here and there. They might experiment with a few players here and there. That is how strong the All Blacks are right now. I reckon they could... Ugh, they could play with their dicks out for Harambe. They would still win. It's as simple as that. So let's go look at this team quickly. We've got 10 minutes. We've got 8 minutes. <laughs> so we, like I was trying to make sense of all this last night. And uh, writing for me is a great therapy because it kind of gets my, some thoughts off my chest. And I can then, by vocalizing it, I can kind of get to the points and the bottom of things. And I was going to spare a rugby analyst the the indecency of talking about this. So I'll go about it myself. Johan Kirsten, is he really going to be the, fl- the, the fullback going forward? There's talent there, no doubt about that. But is he going to be the long-term option? Ron Combrick is now injured, which is a real big shame. I think it's going to be about six weeks. He essentially broke his leg. So it's very difficult to play rugby with just one leg, um, especially at international level. So he's out. 
Lionel Mapu writes, how many more chances is this guy going to get with the excuse of, oh, well, De Allen is not giving him chances. The backline is not giving him the opportunity he need. Sure, but I mean, we've seen it with guys like Brian O'Banner, okay? When things aren't happening, the guy's trying. He's actually working his ass off. And again on Saturday, not happening. I've always said, to be a wing in the Springbok team is just very unfortunate. It's like growing up ginger, I reckon. Growing up ginger and fat. You really have been given uh, the wrong end of the stick because opportunities aren't going to come your way. So... The fact that Brian always looks for work, you know, is, is Papu going to then change his, his, his game plan? These are the things that unfortunately have to happen when a team is not going so well. We spoke about Faf earlier and how he made like a real ugly century at the one, at the Centurion yesterday. That's because plan A is not in the window for Faf right now. Plan A is just not even, I reckon he's batting on plan C, such as his form, but he's stuck to it and he found a way of getting a hundred. We need Lionel Mapu to find a way of showing his brilliance. I don't think that's happening right now. Damien de Allender, how many chances is this guy going to get? You know, people say that he is, he was getting back to where he was. Okay, that's cool. It's all good and well, but international rugby is not a finishing school. It's not a place where you can play yourself back into form. But with as you could see, not having um, Brian Jansen from Rensburg in the team, the form 12 in Super Rugby, the fact that Jan Seventeen is injured, and John de Jong, well, I don't know if he could see a one to him as a 12. Dallin is going to be the incumbent. So he'll keep trying his damnedest, but again, things aren't working here. It's as simple as that. We know this guy's a good player, but it's just not working right now. So what's going to be the next step? Brian O'Banner, you can't really, you can't really doubt the guy. He's trying as hard as he's doing what he can with very little. So people are saying, ah, oh, you know, he's too old. But I mean, really, can you fault the dude? And with Combrick now injured, we haven't exactly got a lot of wings. Elton Jones, this is the big, the big worrying uh, process here for the box because you need a fly half. The box will always have a relatively conservative game plan, right? Through Kutsia, we've seen throughout his coaching, he needs that pivot. He needs the guy that's going to dictate the game. We saw it at the Stormers. It was all based around a fly half who knows what to do and does the basics well. Judge, he doesn't seem like he knows what's going on. And people have been saying this for weeks now. We, we know his talent. We've seen it, but he seems stifled. Like he doesn't quite know. It's like this bipolar performance. Is he going to express himself and do what he wants? Or is he somehow trying to channel whatever the game plan is for the Springboks into play? It's just so disheartening to see because it's just not working. And the proof of this is Fafter Clerk. Now we spoke about this last week with Joan from the left backs. Is this guy getting free reign to play because nothing else is happening around him? Is he getting mixed signals as to what Junchies is getting? The fact that their game is so contrasting. Here's a 9-10 unit that shines in Super Rugby with one plan, a plan they both seem to know. Bok Rugby, it's like these two guys just don't connect anymore. It is so frustrating, and Fuff had a bit of a bad game on the weekend. So that was one of the lesser qualities of, um, well, you know, he's been done so well in scrambling results and, ret- and sort of saving games for the box, but he didn't have a good game and he was pulled off. Warren White hit number eight. Not quite the player we're all hoping for just yet. Uh, but has this got to do more with the fact that the loose trio is not balanced? Whiteley's a guy who's obviously a more your running number eight. He's your fast placed, fast paced kind of guy. And he will get through a lot of work. But, you know, the hard work isn't seem to be done by the rest of the loose trio here. Opa Mahojo, you can't, you can't doubt this guy's work rate. You can't doubt the fact he's so committed. But, you know, is he going to be the guy who's going to do all the work at seven? That's going to sit whitely up to play the eight that he is. You know, we see it with Tecklenburg, uh, with the, with the Lions. That guy, he'll never play for the box because I just don't think he's, I don't know, he's not the right profile for the team. I don't think he'll ever get the chance, but that guy gets through a mountain of work and it helps guys like whitely then play the original games. So there's just question marks there all around. Francois Lowe, we know he's off form. 
but because he has the attributes of playing to the ball, which is a big deal in international rugby, uh, could see a, well, genuinely go for that. But you know, if he isn't doing that, then what is the point of having someone on reputation on best case scenario, rather than having like someone like Yaku Creel, who you know is going to give something special to this team, and even though he's not a conventional fetcher, you know, do we have the luxury now of saying, well, he's not a fetcher so we can't play him? We've got to start playing form players. We need to start getting winning again. Yeah, so I think that, that loose trio is very unbalanced. And um, I don't know when or if John, uh, Dwayne Vermeulen is going to come back into this. But it's the merit and then saying, look, number seven, we need someone who's going to be very experienced, get through a lot of work, uh, tackle essentially from the waist down. It would also be nice. Uh, Mahojo is going to be in some problems, I think, with a high shot that he, uh, well, a couple of them in the game, actually. Least of all, the one right at the end. So Dwayne Familiar coming at six, uh, sorry, at seven. Is there merit in saying Peter Septus could be a seven? These are all things that, because this loose trail right now is so imbalanced, all these questions have got to come out. And there's a good point for all of them because Open Mahojo, I think, I personally would rate him higher than Sir Khaleesi as far as the work he can get through, the line of capabilities he's got. There's, there's talent there. They're very similar players, but, you know, Mahojo, I think, is just a better all-rounder. But then, if you've got Peter Steftatoy at seven, you've got a great lineup option towards the back of the lineout. And we've got so many locks right now, we can get away with having someone like him because he's so talented and so dynamic. He'll do well there. He didn't do well there when Hanukkah brought him in for that Japan game, but then no one did well in that Japan game. So if he comes in at seven, right, Peter Steftatoy, there you've got Mostert can then cover the locks in the bench, Lutyaga, Ibn Etzebeth in the, in the back, in the second row. It's an option. Just definitely just throw it out there. It's an option. And then uh, Yaku Creel to come in at, at six. You, you can't keep playing life. He's not going to perform. Now, even Elizabeth Lutiago, well, look, Lutiago can definitely pick up his game. Same with even. But you've got to think the collective is maybe stunting them. The fact that these guys aren't playing a team that's going forward is very scrappy. It's very difficult for these guys to get on the front foot. So we can't be too harsh on them as individuals right now. Vincent Cock didn't have a great game on the weekend. There's a guy who you know has got talent because of his super rugby prowess, but it's got to be consistency with all these guys. We just need consistency. We need to do their job and everything else will benefit around them. We're not seeing that. Adrian Strauss, we're just not seeing all these capabilities. The fact that you can throw the ball straight into the line out is pretty much his biggest attribute right now. That's not what gets you into the team. It sure as shit does not get you into this team and make you captain. Uh, Tendai the Beast and Tawira, is he going? Is he missing? Who knows? People are saying that uh, Kitsov should start. The Beast needs to get back to his best. But we've seen this for a couple of years now. The Beast will have a game here and there that's really good. Otherwise, he is just pitching up to work. Oh, it's just it's so difficult to try and be positive when all these things are so glaringly obvious. Now, nitpicking players, of course, is difficult because sometimes you go, well, the game plan is clearly not working for these players. So what can be changed? At the same time, though, you got to you got to sympathize with Alistair Goodseer. He's staying there. He's got a plan. But when you got a guy like Mornay staying, he's missing, he missed three kicks if you include the drop kick, which he should be getting. Elton missed some kicks. When you lose a game by two points, and guys who should be guaranteeing your points off the boot alone aren't doing it, how much can you really blame the coach? I know he's a part of it, but shit, these guys have got to throw some bones out here. Bongi and Bonambi, is he going to be the next Hanyan in Shimangi? The question has to be asked because if we have to have players doing the utmost in the last 10 minutes, fresh legs is required. Fresh legs in the tight five, even more so. So people are saying, well, Adrian Strauss has this down because games have been so tight. But he's absolutely offered bugger all in the first 17 minutes. So why keep him on for the last 10? Bongi Mbunambi needs a chance. If he's there, he's obviously good enough. Give him the chance. It's got to happen. We've got to rotate this bench. And, um, well, again, begs the question. Adrian Strauss, is he, should he be the captain? 
I highly doubt it. Kitsov, as we said, this guy's golden. Whether they can put him in there when you think of transformation sort of um, requirements, well, that remains to be seen. Lawrence Odrians, it's just good that he's not there and he's there and Kunio stays and isn't there masquerading as a, as a tight head. PSF Toy, what can we say about this guy other than what I already have? You know, he could be the number seven option. He could go into the team as the number five. Who knows? All we know is that whatever this guy does in the team is an attribute and it's great that he can start finally asserting himself on this Bok team. Just hold fingers in the injuries because he's had far too many. Yaku Creel as well. I think the guy's shown enough to justify a start. What else could go wrong, you know? This guy, he might not be the technical fetcher that everyone might want out of a number six in SA. Bollocks. He's good enough to throw him in there. I think Rudy Page is ultimately always going to be an understudy in this team. So all he needs to do is basically just play the basics, take opportunities where he gets them, and he might flourish into something else. But there's a lot more you can really expect from this guy right now. The issue is, with all the injuries, okay, now Junchies has a groin injury, so he might not play for a couple of weeks. Lambie's out. Pollard's out. Where do you go from there? Mornestain? If he's not kicking his goals, it's very difficult to justify this guy's position in the team. So then you think, is Husson now going to be the next number 10? These are some big, big issues here for us to see. And again, this team is not gelling when you've got to keep making these big decisions and keep moving players around. And Jesse Creel, well, you came on early for Combrink as a wing substitute. I just reckon this guy needs a, a chance at fullback. I think there's a lot going on with this guy. And I really, really, really believe that he should be the fullback. Uh, that's pretty much it. Um, I thought I'd address the team somehow without being too negative, but it's hard not to him. Really, it's some big questions. Just a couple of things we need to get to before we get to the cricket. Um, Mandla, my, my favorite messenger, uh, he's got a couple of uh, messages here. Let's just go through them quickly. You can't pick a sports team on anything but form and performance. This team is still going to change a hell of a lot by 2019 because having 50% black players is transformation. Yep, that's the thing. It was said by 2019, you need 50%. So as much as we want to wax lyrically about who can go where and what, it all goes out the window. As you can see, it can make changes, but is he making the right changes? Again, every single Springbok coach has had politics in his life, whether it be you must pick more Transvaal players back in the 90s, whether you must pick more black players now. Everyone's had the shit. It's just been repackaged. Kurs says, Hi Ben, I agree our backline is so scrambled in attack and defense. Unfortunately, we don't have best in terms of coaching. And I quote Div- Pete Divi's tweet over the weekend. That's of course Coach Divi, not the real dude. If you pick the EP Kings backline coach as the Springboks backline coach, then the EP Kings results it will be then. <laughs> yeah, can't argue here. Stick is learning about the game at the highest level. And that's that's not even mean. That's just what happens. And then Mundley again says, what do we expect from Kutsia appointing the EP Kings coach? Uh, they're just echoing the, the thoughts of, of Kurs and P. Divi. Lots to think about. Well, lots to ponder about. I'll write more about this during the week. So the bounce of Sia does it there for more of that. We do need to get into cricket, though. So while I just compose myself and uh, have a bit of water before we get to David, Miss Baal Huck, he's about th- 78 years old, but he is currently the captain of the best test team in world cricket. We can't keep a good old and down. This bar goes through to his 10th test match century, 42 years young. Remarkable man. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Keep going. 
remarkable man, remarkable player. Tenth Test match century, 42 years of age. He's loved it. <laughs> We've seen some celebrations. I've not seen press up before. 42 years young. Hard to start your great with Kellogg's and the Kelman 20. Don't procrastinate. Do what you want to do and do it now. Be as good as you can, but they can't actually ignore you. Run your own race and stop comparing yourself to other people. On your own pace, your own race, your own lane. Love yourself enough to work on yourself and be honest with yourself. The main thing is action every single day. Small attainable goals that will get you in the right direction. Hashtag start your great. Well, we're starting our great cricket chat right here with uh, David Orham. David, are you with us? Hi, Ben. Yeah, good to hear from you. Oh, brilliant. It, you uh, know, it warms the heart when the Skype line is this clear. So, um, <laughs> David, we, we played a little misbar clip there. What a, what a man, what a legend. He's still going in his 40s. Uh, but first mm-hmm. up, I was just thinking, how do I, how do I enter you? Because you've got the West Indian game going. You live in Pakistan. But you don't really live there. So just as a first time to the bounce show. What's so tell us a little yeah. bit about yourself so that we can really get this off to the right start. Uh, I, I, Ben, I tend to sort of pitch myself as the Englishman covering the West Indies from Islamabad. Um, and sometimes I'm also writing for an Indian publication. So I'll have to add, uh, and also appearing on South African radio as well in the future. Well, see, this is exactly why I need to chat to you today because every single big team right now is playing, okay? Every format of the game is being utilized for cricket and fanfare and all kinds of great things. So, um, yeah, it was you basically. And the fact that Dennis Cricket, Dennis does cricket is now doing his own show at the same time as my show. So the options are, are whittling down, but hey, strength versus strength. Here we go. What happened <laughs> last night with that West Indies Indian T20 match? Oh, um, it's ironic, Ben, that you say everybody's playing at the moment. Um, my question back to you would be, why? Uh, it's August. Most places in the world, it's the rainy season. It's wet. <laughs> what on earth is cricket being played anywhere other than England at the moment? I mean, we've recently got... I'm, I'm pleased to see they're actually playing in South Africa for a change at the moment. But well, you, you, wouldn't have, had, you wouldn't have said that last week with our car pat of an outfield. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, you've had the England-Pakistan series, but we, we've had a test cricket on four continents almost simultaneously and a domestic uh, 2020 competition. I mean, the scheduling is is absolute madness, and it seems to be that everything has to be squeezed in around the IPL. Well, there we have it. Huh? It gets the, gets the point very quickly. The IPL's influence is starting to really be seen. And it, it is a shame, but um, why is it like this year? Because the IPL isn't exactly anything new. You know, is there, Has there been a backlog because of the T20 World Cup? Is it because some teams aren't playing enough test cricket and they've got to try you know, make up for it? In terms of the West Indies, what they tried to do was their schedule, their season, was always predominantly uh, January, February, March, April. Uh, perhaps slightly into May, where you'd have the domestic season, the four-day competition in the first couple of months, and then it would slip into the test matches. So traditionally, if a team like England, Australia, whomsoever, was touring the Caribbean, they'd be there in about April. Okay. Okay? But that totally clashes with the IPL, and they would have players make themselves unavailable for their own test side because they want to go off and play in the IPL. So they made an effort 
couple of years ago or so to move their own schedule around so they weren't playing their own uh, major international cricket coincided with the IPL. As it happens, it was a waste of time anyway because they'd moved those test matches to another part of the year and those guys rather not play in the test side in any case because they'd rather be off playing in the Bangladesh Premier League or yeah. the Pakistan Super League or whatever 2020 uh, competition uh, paid them better. Exactly, wow. So basically you've got to forfeit your domestic interests nowadays and be dictated to by other countries. That's uh, that's horrible, but it's reality. Just um, well, it- Yeah, Karen. You say, you know, but the thing is, which is coming first? I mean, it is getting to the point, Ben, that uh, in a lot of these countries, the international schedules are being framed around the premier domestic competition. Uh, the Big Bash is taking prominence to a degree in Australia now. In England, they're talking about a reorganisation that may come about in the next year or two, where August is almost exclusively taken up with 2020 cricket uh, at the exclusion of the test matches. That, that Some people may think that's great. I, I wouldn't be in that camp. But you've got to think, like, almost financially, it's like it's like you've, you've, you've got to be a stripper on the pole in order to pursue art class. I think that's maybe an analogy for T20 and, and test cricket. It's, it's almost like you've, you've, you've got to take the evil before you can do the good, so to speak. There's a great deal of truth in that, and there has to be a balance. And I think there is a point of uh, how many um, how many times over do you have to sell your soul to, uh, to Mephistopheles? Um, there's, surely there's got to be a point at which the two can coexist. And I think more and more they try and squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And I like 2020. I like cheeseburgers. I couldn't have nothing but cheeseburgers. Uh, 2020 to me is, it's, it's supersized me cricket. Yeah. Well, it is really indeed. So what happened last night with those technical difficulties? Then there was rain and then ultimately there was no match. To answer your question that you asked, yes. Um, uh, well, apparently, apparently, I, I like like you watching it from a distance. Um, the game was delayed by something like forty five minutes because uh, they'd lost their satellite feed between uh, Florida and India. Because, of course, the uh, Indian audience uh, watching on their TV sets in the evening was far more important than anybody had paid uh, anything up to two hundred dollars to actually be in the ground. So the game was delayed that long until they we could reconnect, despite the fact that there was uh, forecast for rain that afternoon, and it did rain two three overs into the. Uh, Indian innings when they were probably going to get the West Indies score with with ease. Uh, there wasn't even enough time to have the minimum five, o- five overs to to have a result. So it ended up with uh, West Indies winning the two match series one uh, nil. The outfield, like at Kingsmead, like at Trinidad recently, was too wet and sodden for uh, there to be a resumption. Although reports. Uh, suggest that, that Dhoni, MS Dhoni was happy with the outfield while West Indies captain Carlos Brathwaite wasn't. But surely that's a decision down to the umpires. But the, the, the thing is, Ben, if you're going to play cricket at a time of year when the outfield is naturally soft underneath, it does need a heck of a long time to recover. And it doesn't matter whether you've got 20 super soppers. Yeah. Uh, it's still going to be soft and sodden underneath. Exactly, but just getting back to them playing in Florida, is this technically the West Indian expansion of the game, or is this BCCI saying we need to take it to the American market? Who, That's who, a very, who, who's very really, good question. Who's really pulling the what? financial strings with this one? 
I'm, I've been trying to find that out. I think India, I think this is a cooperation thing, but it's very interesting to know that effectively MS Dhoni was tossed the coin in both games as the home skipper. Which is odd, seeing as the India were currently touring West Indies. <laughs> yes, but as many people point out to you, Ben, um, the USA is not in the Caribbean. Well, it's definitely well, closer than India. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose if... I, 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 it, I know, I know. Um, the UAE is not in Pakistan. Um, it's it's an interesting place to play cricket. It has a lot of benefits, um, but I don't think the motives behind the game were entirely altruistic towards spreading the game in North America. Yeah, well, speaking about Pakistan, now they are the number one test team in the world. I yesterday went to go watch the seventh best test team in the world in, here in SA. <laughs> So what's been the big turnaround? I mean, is it all about Pakistan becoming really good? Obviously, it's not Mickey Arthur. He's just arrived. It's obviously not just um, a few innings here and there. Is it because these guys have got better and better or are just other teams falling away? I mean, we've seen Australia can't play on subcontinent pitches. Um, South Africa have hit the skids. England or England. What's your big take on this? You know, Should we be applauding them as the best team right now? Yes, I think they've been the best team for a while and the uh, rankings haven't reflected it. A lot of this is the problem of the rankings. You will probably see 12 months from now Pakistan being right near the top and let's say in the next six weeks, Yunus Khan and Mizbah both retire. Uh, their, their placing will still be skewed on what they've done in the past. When South Africa was still number one, I think even most South Africans were aware that South Africa were no longer even in the top three or four teams, let alone the top one, and were still being put up there by previous results. Yeah. It has a skewing effect that uh, you'd not necessarily... The old saying, you're only as good as your last game, well, that doesn't necessarily count when it comes to the ICC rankings. <laughs> it, it, it really doesn't. Uh, otherwise, they say would be pretty good because they thrashed England in a dead rubber. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's it's interesting as well. That, I mean, I've I've long gone on to the point of boredom that nobody will listen to me. So it's a delight that that you are Ben. That the uh, ICC test rankings, particularly, are just an absolute nonsense. I'll give, I'll give you for example, if India had won their final test against West Indies that had got rained off and won that series three nil, they would have retained their place at number one, um, having only been there for a, for a few days. I mean, that in itself was silly. Saying that they got to number one when they were still halfway through a game. That's like the equivalent of saying, oh, Tottenham are now top of the league because Liverpool have lost. Um, Tottenham at the moment are nil-nil at half-time. And then when they lose one-nil at home, they're not top anymore. That that yeah. match wasn't over. But to return to my point, um, India, top of the ICC rankings if they won 3 nil. The other top teams in the top five were in Australia, England, Pakistan and New Zealand. Of those teams, India lost their last test series to all of those with the exception of Pakistan, who they last played nine years ago. How on earth does that make them number one? They they, they get inflated uh, value out of beating sides like West Indies away. And to be fair, their thrashing of South Africa, they got a lot more points for beating South Africa, who were the number one side, yep. and as yep. you say, weren't actually that good anymore. Yeah, it's like it's nice to have because this is this is the problem with the media and just people generally who run out of things to say. It's like you want to talk about this team is the best, that team is the third. Everyone has to be ranked. We need to quantify everything in life. But Test mm. cricket's yeah, it's a pinch of a salt kind of thing, I guess. But Pakistan, I think we need to just you know, focus more on what they have done rather than the, the semantics around where they're ranked. But with, without a home game, 
technically speaking, okay, without a home game, they've been the best team in the world. This is a team that just, uh, I remember back slightly off, off, off point here, but back when they, when I used to play, um, uh, PlayStation uh, cricket matches, all their, all their players on paper were the best. So you play with them and they were always so good. These guys are just a whole mixture of talents that somehow come together and play for some sort of common goal. But now, yeah. is there a chance that common goal essentially might be a home game anytime soon? You know, are we looking any closer to them to be a more conventional test team where they will get to play at home at those great grounds and they will tour like everyone else? No, no, not not a chance, unfortunately, for some time. Um, and I, I suspect with what you've said, it's a surprise to me that uh, England are going to Bangladesh after the recent um, atrocity there. Right. Uh, the, the, the situation in Pakistan is sad that there are still... And don't get me wrong, I, I live in Pakistan as part of the British diplomatic community and I would say without fail, they're the most friendly, lovely people I have ever met in my life. Um, delightfully surprised how wonderful and warm and welcoming Pakistani people are. Nonetheless, there is a 0.01%, whatever it is, of lunatics out there yeah. that want to ruin things for everybody else and particularly in Karachi, which is a very unstable area. Um, it'd be almost impossible to ensure anybody's safety. They did try playing down in Lahore last year. Uh, Zimbabwe played there, and there was uh, it was targeted. It was targeted by terrorists who tried to a suicide bomber tried to uh, cause as much loss of life as possible. And a very brave policeman spotted this guy um, before he got too close to too many people and threw himself upon him. Um, that's in Lahore. Islamabad is more like a fortified city. Uh, you could play cricket here, but it's a very, it's, it's the center of government and things like that. So I don't think they're particularly keen to have that sort of thing here for too long in any case. Yeah. It's a real sensitive of affairs, but then at least we can say it. Well, Pakistan are on the up and up. You know, they had Shah was number one bowler for a while. Um, yeah, Mispar is still going in his 40s. It is really good to see. Now, mm. do you think that they can basically carry this on and be a bit of a force come Champions Trophy next year? It is next year, right? The, yes. Um, no, I don't, I don't, I don't. People always come out with the cliches about uh, Pakistan that they're mercurial and unpredictable. And, uh, and But that's a general truism. Uh, they're, they're as likely to win a competition like that as, as anybody, but they do reply, uh, rely very, very heavily on two or three outstanding cricketers. Right. Uh, Mizbar and Yunus are among those. And as I said before, I think once they go, and I don't think Mizbar's quite 78 yet, Ben, but he, he might be touching 60. Um, when he, when he does go, there is going to be a huge hole, not just with his batting, but the leadership as well. And he has managed to unify them and get them to play for a common purpose, a common goal. And you're halfway there when you've got everybody all pulling in the same direction. Yeah, and as far as Mickey Arthur joining the squad now, you know, it's again, it's like it's a tough team to kind of coach in that respect. But, mm -mm. you know, do you think he's going to do better than, say, he would against a team of individuals back when Australia had him? I think already he's got a great... Everything I've read, I don't... I've yeah not had any sort of inside um, feedback on that, but everything, my impressions are particularly of watching the England-Pakistan series was that uh, there was a lot of warmth there that he was able to 
gel with the, the Pakistani players and still allowing them to, let's say, express their own culture. Uh, I think Arthur's problem and challenge when he was with Australia was that he was trying to impose himself a little bit more and trying to, all, all of that, the uh, homework gate and things like that, his own authority was, was challenged and so on. And I think he was far more assertive there, which I don't think he's needed to be. Yeah. He's not needed yeah. to be that authority figure with Pakistan because they already had that natural leadership from Mizbar. And I think with the Australian setup, you it's well documented the antagonism, particularly between Clark and Mike Clark and uh, Watson. Arthur was trying to, you know, focus something for for the team ethic, and in the end, he was made the scapegoat for their poor performances. Well, speaking of the Aussies, now they're an interesting bunch because, well, the, the stats suggest they cannot play a turning ball, um, and <laughs> then secondly, they haven't got a captain who can see out a series. Now, this whole resting thing—that was a big conversation point last week. Is there anything in it, or is it literally just one of those things where, look, whether he's in the series or not, it's more about the SA series that needs to be focused on? It's, the timing was all very strange, wasn't it? You, there's, there's nothing wrong with a, a guy taking a rest and stepping away, or a guy getting injured and stepping away. But then to sort of do it like that, I mean, time and again, it does seem to me, um, again, from this distance, that Rod Marsh, the chairman of selectors, has not got a clue and he makes it all up as he goes along yeah. and then comes out with some <laughs> bizarre statement uh, to try and support the, the baffle, baffling logic that they've come along with. Um, I don't know what how Smith is perceived within his own camp. It was very interesting to hear the interview that... Um, I think it was, I can't remember who it was. It was somebody after yesterday's One Day International talked so marvellously in glowing terms of David Warner's captaincy. And it almost made me feel as though there was a greater than just a sort of, oh, my skipper's done well, but more like an endorsement going on as well. Perhaps I read too much into that. Well, perhaps I'll then ask the question again. It's about captaining multi formats. You know, can you expect a guy who's going to, I mean, test cricket's difficult. And if they are going to play a decent amount of it through the year, one day is almost like, oh, that too. Yeah. Is is it more a case that if Warner is going to be this guy who does have leadership and he does thrive on it, then maybe just give him the one day thing and be done with it? Well, that that would make sense. But it it seems to me, Ben, that you'd have the same problem with with Warner as you have with Smith or any other young man who's playing in multiple formats. I, I really don't think... Uh, a few years from now, we're going to see almost any player, apart from those that break through, that play more than two out of three formats. It's just, it's just most, so much upon their body, so much upon them mentally and physically. And as we say about the 2020 domestic formats, there is the desire that players like Warner, Smith, or guys in England like Joe Root, they're, they're going to want them playing in those domestic tournaments as well because that's where the big bucks are. And they, they can't just keep playing high-intensity cricket week in, week out. Yeah. Well, I think when it comes down to this, there's going to be pockets of brilliance in cricket. I, I don't think this current month of August is producing that, but uh, when we look ahead to November, I'm pretty excited, obviously, with the fact that SA are going there for a proper series. There will be, I think, four test matches or three test matches. And uh, mm-hmm. that's what Smith is being primed for. From your sort of from outside looking in, do you reckon SA, you know, this is obviously a rebuilding phase right now. Do you reckon they're going to trouble the Aussies? Obviously, it'll be a lot better on pitches I, that come on the bat. I, I do hope so. I, I, I do I do enjoy seeing uh, uh, 
this South Africa come a cropper from time to time, but never as much as, as an Englishman as I enjoy seeing uh, Australia come a cropper. <laughs> so I'll be rooting for South Africa. Absolutely. I mean, there's, I doubt Ben, either of us has seen anything as funny uh, in international cricket in, in recent years as uh, Australia's <laughs> ignominious thrashing in Sri Lanka. So I do yeah. hope. I do hope that uh, South Africa can compete, but I do fear that uh, Australia are improving all the time and and are still probably them and England are the team to beat. Yeah, well, with luck of the draw as well. I mean, look at this New Zealand series now happening in um, in South Africa. First first mm. test, there was no game. Yeah, this one, you can just see the guys haven't played. It's all very scratchy stuff. Quinton Lecoq is an incredibly talented player, so he bats with a lot of sort of um, fluidity. But the rest of them, they're just trying so hard to get runs. I mean, Fuff's 100 yesterday, I, I watched it. <laughs> it wasn't exactly pretty. But it's just, <laughs> they're not playing, you know. They've, there's no there's no momentum they can take from series to series here in Test Cricket. And I think it's that's going to hinder the game. You know, there's just so many different factors why Test Cricket is just not being able to thrive like it could. So they're going to get down yeah. to Australia in November. With what form to talk of? I mean, who really knows? I think it's just going to be advantage Aussies, but uh, we'll get we'll get to that close to the time because I think obviously that's a precursor to the Ashes as well. That's that's Test yes. cricket's pinnacle, and um, it, it will be a lot more exciting now that uh, the, well both teams have kind of gone through the ups and downs. It's, I think it could be maybe tighter than ever with this one now. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Any time Australia plays, um, my eye is on is to the future Ashes series on the horizon. All right, cool. Well, David, where can we find more of you uh, on the internet on a cricketing sense? Well, if anybody wants to abuse me on uh, Twitter, they can find me uh, David Oram at Cole Blimp nineteen eighty three, and I have a regular uh, weekly, usually every week, uh, podcast on all things West Indies cricket uh, called. Uh, the Willow in the Windies, and uh, most weeks I do that in collaboration with the great uh, West Indies uh, radio commentator, Rez Pereira. That's on, uh, you can find that on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Brilliant. Well, David, I want to put a whole blog post together with all of us, as I always do, and I'll have all your details there. So if you have enjoyed our chat today with David, you can get a lot more of him, and I'll give you the links for that. David, thanks so much. That was that was brilliant. Uh, we didn't even get through half the stuff I really wanted to, but you know, as you say, <laughs> There's just too much cricket on the moment, and it doesn't mean actually a good thing for the game itself. But we'll get more insights from you in the coming months. Lovely. Look forward to it, man. Great. Thanks, David. That is it for the Bounce Show this week. We've had, uh, well, a full show. And uh, next week, the boys from Conquer Sport are back. Well, I said boys. There's two of them. There's Carl and David. Dan's generally the, the, the talker. He's the, he's the speaker. Uh, and, yeah, so interesting, interesting um, topics to go through with him there. And then we'll have more rugby and uh yeah hopefully better rugby i'm just so tired of flogging a dead horse here with critiquing the springboks let's celebrate them let's turn it around guys and let's uh yeah catch more of this the bounce you can catch this podcast along with all the other articles i've written or if you go to cliffcentral.com look out for the bounce show page there with all the uh the past shows and the current show and then also just go on to the gareth cliff show where you'll get my monday to friday daily sportscast there it's all you need it's all right there catch you next week thanks for joining me this is cliffcentral.com